If you would please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 26. Jeremiah 26. We're actually going to pick up here this morning where we left off in Bible Hour this morning. So if you missed this morning, please, when it hits the podcast, um, check it out. And also on your own, I encourage you to read the chapters we're looking at. This morning, we looked at some history relating to Jeremiah as recorded in Jeremiah 26. And in there is referred to a sermon that Jeremiah preached. And that sermon is recorded for us back in chapters 10 or chapter 7 through 10. And it is a profound sermon in its historical context. But it amazes me as I have meditated and studied it the last few weeks, considering its relevance to modern America. America is perceived by many, and both here in our country and around the world, as a Christian nation, a nation that is predominantly a majority Christian people. But yet, when we step back and we look at our society and we look at our entertainments and we look at, even as we prayed about earlier, the abortion that takes place in our land, it's easy for us to sit back and look back to the days of Jehoiakim, King Jehoiakim, and say, oh, they had bad days back then. But how much more troubling is it today? And the message of Jeremiah was specifically to the nation of Israel. It was specifically a call for them to repent, for them to return to the Lord whom they had forsaken. It was also a pronouncement of judgment, judgment that was destined to come upon the people of God, the nation of Israel, the theocracy, a distinction from what America is. America is not a theocracy. The nation of Israel at this time was that. And we find in this sermon of Jeremiah the heart of the Lord breaking, overcome with grief as to where the nation stands. If you look with me here in verse 26, it tells us that in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word from the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house, and speak unto all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I command thee to speak unto them, diminish not a word. If so be, they will hearken. And turn every man from his evil way, that I may repent me of the evil which I purpose to do unto them, because of the evil of their doings. And thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, if ye will not hearken to me, to walk in my law which I have set before you, to hearken to the words of my servants the prophets, whom I sent unto you, both rising up early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened, then will I make this house like Shiloh and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. The cry of the Lord to his people. Do you see it here? That they hearken to him. They hear. 
and they obey, that they turn to the Lord and walk in His law and in His way. He warned them of judgment. Here, this is a specific theocratic judgment as prophesied in the book of Deuteronomy of what would happen if the nation turned their backs on God, how He would judge them. And now the warnings are coming of this judgment, a scattering. Here we find in Jeremiah chapter 26 the summary of the sermon. The summary of the sermon is, is basically hearken. Here, turn away from your evil so that I, God, can turn away from the evil that is determined against you in judgment for your sin. Although this is given specifically to the nation of Israel, specifically in the times of Jehoiakim, so many principles can be drawn in our day today. We're not the theocratic kingdom of Israel, but we are a people. We are a people who are of God, are we not? And is it true, both in our heart and in our words and in our actions? Is the Lord our God, our God, in our heart, in our words, and in our actions? Is it real? Just to briefly recount the historical context of this, this sermon comes in the days of Jehoiakim, just a few months after Josiah King, his father, has died. And if you know the history, Josiah was a godly king. Josiah was a king who was described as one who did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. He brought about great revival. He was the one prophesied 300 years before as the one who would destroy the worship center, the pagan worship center that Jeroboam I set up the golden calves right there after the kingdom divided. 300 years before, he was named by, na he was named by name as the one who would bring about the destruction of that idolatrous center. He brought about over 300 years after Solomon set up a worship center there outside the city of Jerusalem for his pagan wives, Josiah destroyed it. As we learned this morning in Bible Hour, here we find in the days of Jehoiakim, that very worship center that had lasted for 300 years and was totally destroyed by Josiah has been reset back up. This here, the worst of the idolatry of the nation of Israel. Here in Jeremiah 26, the Lord tells Jeremiah that he is not to diminish a word of his message. As I meditated on that, I was overcome with the fact that I was just going to summarize it and was convicted, no, we need to not diminish a word of it. We need to take the time to read that message and consider the context in which it was and how it applies to us. For these things were written for our learning, that we lust not as they lusted. These are written for our examples. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We read this sermon in Jeremiah 7 through 10, and our ears tingle. We've already begun it earlier this morning. 
as we read chapters 7, 8, and began into chapter 9. Just to recount some of the highlights of what we covered this morning to put you into context, this is a sermon that was preached by Jeremiah in the court of the temple. Now, here at the temple, imagine. We have the priests. We have prophets. We have people coming to worship. But there's a problem. They're coming to the temple to worship and to offer sacrifices. But they've just come from stealing from the widows and the fatherless. They've just come from shedding innocent blood. They have just come from worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth. They have just come from taking and making a family activity of making cakes to worship the queen of heaven, Ashtaroth, the pagan god. And now they are coming to the temple to worship Jehovah. Horrific to the Lord as he sees this. Here they come, and they're going to offer sacrifices to the Lord, and yet their actions and their lives are corrupt. They come to the temple to worship and to hear the law of God read, of whom they have great scribes to copy it out, abundance of copies of God's word, and yet God says it is all vain. Why? Because though they have it, they do not obey it. They do not hearken to it. It is vain to them. In chapter 7 and verse 26, God says, Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Jeremiah tells them in chapter 7 and verse 12 to go to Shiloh. Shiloh was a place in Israel's previous history where God had first commanded that his tabernacle be set up. The tabernacle was there set up in Shiloh. We don't have time to review all of the history, but by this time, it has been ruins for, oh, 400 years. Shiloh has been in ruins for 400 years because there the priests, remember Eli and his sons, forsook the Lord and they did abominations and God brought judgment upon Shiloh by the Philistines 400 years before. And Jeremiah stands here now in the new, magnificent and glorious temple that they're oh so proud of. He even cites that they're proud of it, for he talks about them saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. In verse 4, he tells them it will be like Shiloh. Go look at Shiloh. Go see the ruins of Shiloh. That is the way I will make this place. We'll pick up the reading, backing up a little bit, to chapter 8, verse 13. Picture now here Jeremiah, a young man, standing in the temple, surrounded by the priests, the prophets, and all the people. I will surely consume them, Jeremiah 8, 13, saith the Lord. There shall be no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. 
and the leaf shall fade, and the things that I have given them shall pass away from them. Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves, and let us enter into the defense cities, and let us be silent there, for the Lord our God hath put us to silence and given us water of gold to drink, because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came. And for a time of health, and behold, trouble. The snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. The whole land trembleth at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones, for they are come and have devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those that dwell therein. For behold, I will send serpents, cockatrices among you, which will not be charmed and shall bite you, saith, the Lord. When I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart does faint in me. Behold the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people because of them that dwell in a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not their king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their graven images and with their strange vanities? The harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black. Astonishment hath taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them for they are all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men, and they bend their tongues like their bow for lies, and they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. Take ye heed every one of his neighbor, and trust ye not in any brother. For every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanders. And they will deceive every one his neighbor, and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies, and weary themselves to commit iniquity. Thine habitation is in the midst of deceit. Through deceits they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will melt them and try them. For how shall I do the daughter of my people? Their tongue is as an arrow shot out. It speaketh deceit. One speaketh peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, 
but in heart he lieth in wait. Shall I not visit with judgment them for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? For the mountains will I take up a weeping and a wailing, and for the habitations of the wilderness a lamentation, because they are burned up so that none can pass through them, neither can men hear the voices of the cattle. Both the fowls of the heaven and the beasts are fled. They are gone. And I will make Jerusalem heaps and a den of dragons, and I will make the cities of Judah desolate without an inhabitant. Who is the wise man that may understand this? And who is he whom the mouth of the Lord hath spoken, that he may declare it? For what the land perisheth, and is burned up like a wilderness, that none passeth through. For what? And the Lord said, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. Can we take a break right there? Dads, what are you teaching your children? In this day, the fathers were teaching their children in the ways of Balaam, a false god. A god whose worship center was filled with immorality and sensuality. And here they are being taught to their children in direct violation of what had been commanded of this people in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that all throughout the day they be instructing them in the ways of Jehovah but that's not what these dads are doing these dads are teaching their children in the ways of Balaam can I go on a little rabbit trail though because in this context and in this time, we are just a year or two away from when Nebuchadnezzar in 606 BC will come to Jerusalem and will carry away captive the princes of the land, including Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Now, if you know those names, you know that here we have four young men who are probably just a wee bit younger than Jeremiah. And those four men are valiant for the truth. Those four men are men of character. In the midst of all of this horror that we've been reading, don't forget that there are some fathers teaching their children truth. There's another one, Jeremiah's own dad. Jeremiah's dad's name is Hilkiah. We're not positive, but it's pretty clear from other hints that that's the same Hilkiah who was the one in the days of Josiah found the book of the law, by the way, just a few years after Jeremiah started his ministry. 
one of the priests. And here we have Jeremiah, a family who his father, he, and also his aunt Holda, this family serving God. So yes, as a whole, we're reading this sermon and we're shuddering at the general state of the society. And as a general state of the society, these fathers are teaching them the ways of a false god. But there are exceptions. So I encourage you dads, are you the Hilkiah of this generation? The Hilkiah who was raising up a Jeremiah. Are you one of the elders of Israel, whom, by the way, we're going to meet in a little while, who is true, raising up sons like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? Are we as dads like Shaphan? Remember Hilkiah the priest found the law, delivered it over into the hands of Shaphan, and Shaphan took that law and brought it before King Josiah and read it before King Josiah? Later on today, we're going to meet Shaphan's grandson. I'll give you a little bit ahead of this heads up on the rest of the story. Again, we have a father who presumably was one not teaching his sons in the ways of Balaam, but now three generations of Shaphan and his son and a grandson who are obeying the law, and that grandson is actually one who harbors and protects Jeremiah. All these people, these names, they intersect together in this. And the society it generally is falling apart. And for the most part, fathers are teaching their children to walk after the imagination of their own hearts. Later, Jeremiah talks about our own hearts as being deceitful and desperately wicked. How many times do fathers teach their children, follow your heart? Ever heard that? It seems that 2020 sounds a lot like the 600s BC. A lot of follow your heart was going on back then, and a lot of it's going on today. Fathers, don't teach your children to follow their hearts or to follow in the bale of whatever it is in modern society, but to follow the Lord. Verse 13, Jeremiah 9, 13, And the Lord saith, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them also among the heathen whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them till I have consumed them. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider ye and call for the mourning women that they may come. And send for cunning women that they may come and let them make haste and take up a wailing for us that our eyes may run down with tears and our eyelids gush out with waters. For a voice of wailing is heard out of Zion. How are we spoiled 
We are greatly confounded because we have forsaken the land, because our dwellings have cast us out. Yet, hear the word of the Lord, O ye women, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth, and teach your daughters wailing and every one her neighbor lamentations. For death is come up into our windows and is entered into our palaces and cut off the children from without and the young men from the streets. Speak, thus saith the Lord, even the carcasses of men shall fall as dung upon the open field and as a handful after the harvest man, and none shall gather them. The people are living at this time in relative ease and comfort, celebrations, let us eat, drink, and be merry. Jeremiah is saying, follow your customs and hire the weepers, the lamenters. That's how convinced and positive you can be that the judgment will come, that will be so thorough. Did you see the description given in verse 22 as the Lord described the judgment? Speak, thus saith the Lord, even the carcasses of men shall fall as dung upon the field and as a handful after the harvest man. The point of this is, who goes and bothers to pick up such a thing in the field? You don't bother to pick up the dung in the field. You leave it. So it will be with the carcasses of men. Look with me closely at verse 23 and 24. These are key verses in this sermon that Jeremiah is preaching. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man Glory in his riches. Does that sound like American society? It sure does to me. We boast of our brilliance and our education, our wisdom. We boast of our might and our strength, our infrastructure, our military might, our genius. And we are a rich people relatively to the rest of the world and even to this time of society. And the Lord says, do not glory in your wisdom, do not glory in your might, and do not glory in your riches. How many of us are guilty of that? But, look at the next verse. Let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Oh, how gloomy and horrific this sermon has been sounding that might cause you to question the loving kindness of God as I imagine some there standing in Jerusalem may have been tempted to think. But Jeremiah calls them, listen, don't glory in your wisdom, your knowledge, your education, 
Don't glory in your might and your strength. Don't glory in your riches. Glory in that you understand and know the Lord. Do we know him? Do we know him? Because when we know him and we put our faith in him, we will then know his loving kindness. We will then know his judgment, his righteousness in all the earth. These are what he desires to be and to do. But he can only be and do these when the people understand and know him. And as soon as he has given this, Jeremiah, Remember again, he's standing there in the temple with the priests and the prophets and all the people. Let me back up to read it in context. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will punish all them which are circumcised Jews with the uncircumcised. Egypt and Judah and Edom and the children of Ammon and Moab and all that are in the uttermost corners that dwell in the wilderness, for all these nations are uncircumcised. Well, what do you mean? He listed Judah there, but they are. They're Jews. And all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. Circumcision was a specific sign given to the Jewish people through Abraham, established in the law, that was a sign of male children entering into the Jewish covenant. It was an outward sign of something that was intended for the heart a heart that was obedient to God. But God says, not so. They're not. They're not in the heart. They're going to be judged by those whom they despise as not a part of the special people of God because they themselves are really not what they think they are. They're not really partakers of the covenant. Chapter 10, verse 1. Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. Don't follow the ways of the heathen. This is one reason why when you hear things about signs in the heavens or when you have the eclipse and people want to talk about the trouble that it is, it's not something to be dismayed at. It's something to worship the Creator about. Oftentimes, these signs are considered by the heathen to be ominous. He says, learn not that way. Be not dismayed at them. He goes on then to describe idolatry. 
He says, for the customs of people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver, with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not. This is where they take a tree, they chop it down, they carve it into their idols, and they set it up, and they plate it with silver, they plate it with gold, making this a beautiful idol. That's just a tree they chopped down in the woods, made into a lump of, of wood that then they carved and decorated. They are upright as the palm tree. Here these idols are. If you see pictures of some of these idols, that's kind of what they look like. Some of them, some of them, there's one that actually looks like a palm tree. He's got this little hat on that looks like he's got palms coming out of it as it was carved. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born. They have to be carried around because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do either. Neither is it also in them to do good. They're just pieces of wood. For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Who would not fear thee, O king of nations? For to thee doth it appertain. For as much as among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like unto thee. But they are altogether brutish and foolish. The stock is a doctrine of vanities. That's the description of their gods. Brutish, the modern word is stupid. Foolish, the stock is a doctrine of vanities. The stock is speaking of, of a wood, a lump of wood that's now, he's, he's talking about these beautiful carved shaped, beautiful is the wrong word, what they perceived as beautiful carved and shaped idols. He says it's just a stock of wood. The doctrine of vanities. Silver, spread into plates, is brought from Tarshish, and gold from Euphaz, the work of the workmen and of the hands of the founder. Blue and purple is their clothing. They're all the work of cunning men. Yes, they take their lump of wood, and they take silver from the exotic places and gold from the exotic places, and they bring it all together and decorate their little idol. They dress up all fancy, with the apparel, the garments of kings, as they worship these stalks of wood. Now, a little hint for you here as we continue on. Your Bibles were written originally in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek which was the lingua franca, the language that was commonly spoken in the first century around the world. That's the reason why God chose that language to record the New Testament. The Old Testament is recorded mostly in Hebrew, the language of the Jews. But ever so often, in a few places, 
just, I think, three places, the writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, switches from Hebrew to Aramaic. Aramaic was the lingua franca before Greek was, meaning that Aramaic was the language that was the language of commerce. It was the language that no matter what your mother tongue was, you learned that to communicate and correspond with other people in the world. English is the lingua franca of today. English is. That's one reason why we're so stupid as Americans, because we only know one language, because we only have to know one language to be able to go to pretty much any city in the world and find somebody, I should say major city in the world, to be able to find somebody who speaks English. It's the lingua franca. Aramaic was like that in the days of Jeremiah. Well, in this historical record, as we are reading down through this, it has been recorded and written in Hebrew. And it's really fascinating that all of a sudden, in the middle of this sermon, the record switches from Hebrew. And I wonder if Jeremiah, when he was preaching this there in the court of the temple, didn't switch languages. But as we come to verse 11, verse 11 is recorded for us in Aramaic, the lingua franca, the worldwide commerce language of Jeremiah's day. And it's intriguing because the information given here is vitally important to the entire world. So here he is, Jeremiah. He has just ridiculed the gods and the idols of the world. They go chop down a tree, bring it in, carve it, shape it, take the silver and the gold, they decorate it, they fashion it, they worship it. Now listen as Jeremiah continues the sermon. But, Jeremiah 10.10, but the Lord, Yahweh, is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble, and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. Thus shall ye say unto them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom. And he hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. When he uttereth his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens. And he causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh the lightnings with the rain and bringeth forth the wind out of his treasures." Here we have a great, great, great declaration of who God is, listing the qualifications of being God. Did you know you have to meet some qualifications to be God? So if any of you want to be gods, you have to have created the heavens and the earth. That's the qualification for being a God. And that's what's established here and given and announced in Aramaic so that the whole world hears it and it gets spread abroad. The qualification of being God is not getting, not being a piece of creation that is a tree chopped down, carved, and decorated. No, 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 no. That's a creation. A creation of the true God then created by foolish, vain man. The real qualification for being God 
is that you've created the heavens and the earth, and oh, it continues on, and have absolute control and power over all nature. That's the qualification for being God. Which, by the way, is one reason why humanists and secularists have to invent other means of creation because they can't acknowledge this fact. Because in doing so, they acknowledge what true God is and who the true God is. This is a key verse. Many verses in the Old Testament are key. This is a foundational key verse to knowing and understanding who God is. So many questions of who God is come back to these few verses where God describes what it means to be God. And that's one reason why it was recorded not in Hebrew but in Aramaic so the whole world would get the message. So he's declared this all. He's declared who he is. And then Jeremiah, again, remember, he's standing there in the court of the temple with the priests and the prophets and all the people. And he continues saying, every man is brutish in his knowledge. Every founder is confounded by the graven image, for his molten image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are vanity and the work of errors. In the time of their visitation, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob, oh, that's an incredible concept. The portion of Jacob is not like them. You see, God told his people that he was their proportion. He was their inheritance. Do we recognize our God in that way? Out of all the treasures, the wealth, the might, the education that we have, do we look and consider and know that God is our portion? It's true for us here in the New Testament era, just as it was for them. But they missed it. The portion of Jacob is not like them, the vain gods. For he is the former of all things, and Israel is the rod of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Gather up thy wares. Out to the land, O inhabitant of the fortress. Gather up your treasures. Gather up your wealth. Gather up your possessions. Bring it to the fortress. Bring it to the fortress. We don't understand that concept today. We don't have a fortress in South Bend or a city like that in, our, in Mishawaka. In this day and throughout history, villages and towns throughout, you'd have a city or you would have a fortress, and then you would have the villages and towns scattered about, and when an, an enemy threatened them, Everyone would run, and they would bring their treasures and their wares and their goods and their animals and their livestock and their food, and they'd run to the fortress where they would be safe. And Jeremiah is bringing his sermon to a conclusion. After proclaiming to them who the true God is, he gives them something to do. Gather up thy wares out of the land, O inhabitant 
of the fortress. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will sling out the inhabitants of the land at this once, and will distress them that they may find it so. God is saying, no matter that you come into the fortress, you will be scattered, and you will finally find it so that only me, your God, am your portion that I am the only God, you will find it so. Though I scatter you and distress you. And upon this proclamation of judgment, Jeremiah conveys to that crowd the true heart of God. For God, as he pronounces this judgment, says, Woe is me, for my hurt, my wound is grievous. But I said, truly, this is a grief, and I must bear it. My tabernacle, the temple, where Jeremiah is standing, is spoiled. And all my cords are broken. My children are gone forth of me. And they're not. There is none to stretch forth my tent anymore and to set up my curtains. There's none to set up the temple or the tabernacle. For the pastors are become brutish, stupid, and have not sought the Lord. Therefore, they shall not prosper, and all their flocks shall be scattered. Behold, the noise of the brute is coming. It's come. It's 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 a. Speaking of the judger, the, the enemy, speaking of Babylon, and great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah desolate and a den of dragons. The judgments come. And God speaks of it now as if it is already passed and his heart is broken. He speaks of it as a pain hurt to himself. And then Jeremiah, standing there in the temple, his invitation is brilliant. For instead of pronouncing upon them and asking them again, he already has told them what they need to do. Know the Lord. Turn from your backsliding. Seek the Lord. But do you know what he does that day? There in that temple, his invitation is personal. 
For as he comes to the end of this sermon, he prays, Oh Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. Pour out thou fury upon the heathen that know not thee, and upon the families that call not on thy name. For they have eaten up Jacob and devoured him and consumed him and have made his habitation desolate. Why hast thou prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying this house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? That was the response of the people. They ought to have followed the example of Jeremiah in falling upon their faces before the Lord and crying out, O Lord, correct me but with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. Instead, as we jump back to Jeremiah 26, where the narrative is recorded, do you know who that was? You might be thinking, why those were those idolatrous hypocrites coming to the temple worshiping some of the people. You'd be right, it was. But it wasn't just the people. It was the priests. It was the prophets. The very priests of Jehovah. When they heard the word of the Lord, this message that Jeremiah preached, they did just as Jeremiah was told by the Lord would happen, and they hearkened not unto him. Jeremiah 7, verse 27. God told them they won't listen, and they wouldn't. Neither the priests, nor the prophets, nor the people. But rather, if you turn back to Jeremiah 26 and verse 7 it says so the priests and the prophets and all the people heard jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the lord now it came to pass when jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people that the priests and the prophets and all the people took him yeah he didn't take me i was still here they grabbed him they arrested him and they said thou shalt surely die why hast thou prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? Just as was prophesied in Jeremiah's sermon, they refused to accept it. 
Instead, they call for Jeremiah to be executed. He deserves to die, they say. There's a tumult. For it tells us that all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord, fulfilling one of the promises that God made to Jeremiah in the very first chapter. In chapter 1 and verse 18 and 19, God told him that all of the kings of Judah and the princes thereof and the priests thereof and all the people of the land, they shall fight against thee, Jeremiah. And that's exactly what's happening. They're fighting against him. They're declaring that he must die. He must die. He must die. Why? Because he has spoken to them the word of the Lord. It's interesting that they actually declare that it is the word of the Lord. As I told you all in Bible Hour this morning, I don't think the people got past in Jeremiah's sermon, Jeremiah 7 and verse 12. It's as if they checked out right there. They heard about the comparison to Shiloh, and that was it. And they get, Jeremiah finishes his sermon. They attack him. They charge him. And it tells us in verse 10, when the princes of Judah heard these things, imagine it spreading through the city, there's a riot in the temple, and Jeremiah is at the center of it. It tells us, that when the princes of Judah heard these things, then they came up from the king's house unto the house of the Lord. Here come some of those elders. And it tells us they sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. Here's a matter of justice being brought about. And then spake the priests and the prophets unto the princes and to all the people saying, This man is worthy to die, for he hath prophesied against this city, as ye have heard with your ears. The charge is leveled against Jeremiah. Because he's delivered the word of the Lord, the people believe that he ought to die. Now, we've already heard that this is the priests and the prophets and all of the people. <gasps> what will the princes say? Jeremiah, when he heard this accusation against him, he spake to the princes and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that ye have heard. Therefore now amend your ways and your doings. Change your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. The Lord will repent him of the evil that he hath pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hand. Do with me as seemeth good and meet unto you. But know ye for certain that if ye put me to death, ye shall surely bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and upon the inhabitants thereof. For of a truth, the Lord, Yahweh hath sent me unto you to speak all these words in your ears. This man is not worthy to die, for he hath spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. 
Then rose up certain of the elders of the land and spake to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah the Morsethite prophesied in the days of Hezekiah king of Judah and spake to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as the high places of a forest. Did Hezekiah king of Judah and all Judah put him at all to death? Did he not fear the Lord and besought the Lord, and the Lord repented him of the evil which he had pronounced against them? Thus might we procure great evil against our souls. Oh, what a turn of events. I was beginning to worry there. How about you? Uh, not for Jeremiah, because Jeremiah already has a guaranteed promise that the Lord will deliver him out of it. I was worried there were no more righteous, level-headed, common-sense-thinking people left. Let alone spiritual. But you know what? Among the princes there are. Among the elders there are. And you know what's intriguing about that? It's from those families that when Nebuchadnezzar shows up in just a short time and decides to cake the cream of the crop, he decides to pick among the princes Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and others. And if they're anything like these men, and it's likely they are, or it's likely these men are like Daniel, maybe even Daniel was among them. You see the little justice down here? By the time Jeremiah is just a little ways later, Daniel is a captive in Babylon as a teenager. And it is said that his wisdom was known throughout all the lands. As a teenager, I wonder, I wonder if maybe even the child among them. Remember Paul in the New Testament talks about setting a child to rule over you because he could wisely rule better than most of the vainly spiritual. These are the princes coming along speaking, saying, this man is not worthy of death. For he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Even the child got it. Well, I don't know that it's a child, but here are the princes of the people. A child can get it. And these elders come forth. And I love, if you jump down to verse 24, we have a man named Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, that they should not give him into the hand of the people to put him to death. Here's the son of Shaphan. We look at the genealogies listed in another place, the grandson of Shaphan here, one who stands up with these, with these, not priests, the priests are corrupt, these princes and elders saying he's done nothing of worthy of death and actually harbors him. What an incredible day it was there in Jerusalem. But may I bring your attention back to his sermon to a few points that are vital for us to remember? Look with me again at Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, 
But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Many accuse the Old Testament and accuse Yahweh as being a different God than Jesus, that is heresy. And here lies an example, oftentimes is leveled. The Old Testament is so full of law and judgment, and the New Testament is so full of grace. No, the God is still the same of the Old Testament and of the New Testament. He is still the same as was the Creator, as is the Alpha and Omega. Jesus is God. And these are the things He delighteth in. He is indeed one of justice and righteousness, but He is one of loving kindness. And so the question for all of us here today is that do we know him truly from our own hearts? Other sermons that we need to get to of Jeremiah deal with the fact that the people served the Lord feignedly, without sincerity. Is that the way we serve the Lord? Do we just come to church and look good? Do we even do good at home? But is our heart far from God? Do we truly know and understand the Lord? Is he the one in whom we glory, we boast, we rejoice in? There's a lot of talk as Americans about, you know, making America great. I don't want to get too political here. But let me tell you where the real greatness of America lies. Yes, indeed, there can come wisdom and knowledge and understanding and education and great might and great riches. There's actually nothing wrong with any of those things. But if we are glorying in that to make us great as Americans, we are in trouble. We're in trouble, just like Judah was. If we're going to glory in something, to make America great. May it be that we are a people that glorieth in this, that understandeth and knoweth the true God. The true God. And may we know and understand the glory in his loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness, knowing that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, knowing that the wages of sin is death, that's what we deserve, but that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do we believe that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again, that we might have forgiveness of sins and everlasting life? And do we believe it when it says that this grace of God that appeareth to all men for salvation also teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and teaches us to live soberly with understanding, righteously doing what is right and godly doing that which pleases God. Right now, as we are looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ who's coming again. Do we understand and know him? Lord God, may we seek you with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And may our glory 
be only in you. May we be filled with your spirit. May we walk in your spirit. May we know you. May the hypocrisies of our lives be exposed. May the sun shine forth upon them. And may we confess and forsake that we might find forgiveness and a restored relationship. And Lord Jesus, I pray for each one here this morning who has not believed on you, who has not become a part of you, who does not truly know you as we can only know you through salvation and faith. May they today believe. May your spirit move in their hearts and minds that they may know you. Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves to you now and we pray these things in your name. Amen.